Welcome to episode 26 of Super Entertainment Presents the Intelligent Crossover Universe on the Grand Geek Novel Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me is James Boyerchuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. Uh, Chris Nigro was supposed to be here. Maybe he'll join us in a little bit. I think he uh, might, might be still be in bed. We're uh, recording a little bit earlier than usual. And we're all night owls. Um, and Crazy Ivan Sabotsky is on assignment. And I am Robert Ivansky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. And we are the TVC crew. TVC crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fiction of reality that we call the College Crossover Universe. So, James, welcome. James? Uh-oh. I think I'm all alone here. Um, so, then that means I'm just going to go to my announcements while we figure out why James is not on anymore. Uh, so... I am going to talk about Scaricon. Um, at the time of this recording, Scaricon has already happened. But um, in reality, we are going to go uh, in a few hours to Scaricon. And I just wanted to talk about that. Is that, is that James? Oh, I thought I heard James in the background. Just me. <laughs> so... Just to let you know, uh, we are on our way to Scaricon uh, this afternoon. We are invited guests. We're going to be doing panels with Scaricon. We're going to be doing a show from Scaricon in front of the audience. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have some celebrity guests on that. Um, that episode will actually air in like three weeks from now um, on our on our release schedule. Um, and it's not going to have any kind of agenda. Just some celebrity guests. Uh, so that that's it for me. Is, is there anybody else with me? James? Chris? Anybody? No? Okay. So it's just me. <laughs> this, this is the first time I've been solo, and I don't like to do all the talking, but I guess I'm going to have to for a few minutes. Um, so anyways, um, Scarecon is coming up. There's going to be tons of celebrities there. Unfortunately, you know, I can't. I wasn't able to promote it beforehand because when we were recording the previous episodes, we didn't know for sure if we were coming along or not um, to that. Um, but I, I will tell you that Scaricon has a website, scaricon.com. You should go there because they have um, tons of other events in the, um, in the area. Um, there, it's not just an annual thing here in Massachusetts. Um, they, they have them in other areas, um, um, and I haven't been yet, but I'm about to go, and, but I'm assuming it's going to be a blast because they have a jam-packed schedule, they have tons of celebrities, um, so it should, should be awesome. Um, so, since I couldn't get the other guys on, we're going to take a commercial break, and when I come back... Hopefully, I will have two other TVCU crew members with me. <laughs> so we'll be right back. And we're back. And I think I am joined by James Boyerchuk and Chris Nigro. Hopefully. 
I'm audible. All right. <laughs> so, um, since since you didn't get a chance before the commercial, um, uh, we'll do it real quickly. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Um, James, we'll start with you. All right. I'm just going to quickly once again plug Nicole Petit's Just So Stories, which recently came out from 18th Wall Productions. Nine all-new fairy tales in the style of Rudyard Kipling's famous Just So Stories. Cool. And Chris, how about you? Simply going to leave a reminder that my latest published work will be in the upcoming Sirens Call publication anthology. What dwells below, which all take place in a sewer. How glamorous is that? And perhaps appropriately, oops, sorry, um, perhaps appropriately, one of my stories will be appearing in it. Nice. If you think sewers are nice, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. After Septic Man. <laughs> awesome follow-up to Septic Man. I'm going septic to the literary world. <laughs> so I, 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 I made an announcement uh, in the intro that we would be at Scaricon this weekend. Um, although at the time of this airing, it's already happened. Um, but but um, yay for Chris, more podcast time travel. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I. I I, I was a little frazzled because I'm used to being the last person to, to do the announcement, so I skipped over two other ones that I wanted to make real real quick. Uh, first, I wanted to acknowledge and congratulate Trick or Treat Radio, which is our, our, our parent podcast. Uh, they just had their 200th episode. Actually, they just had their 201st episode, um, but but we didn't record last week. Um, so so um, you know that's that's quite an achievement, and um, you really. You should check out, if you haven't listened to Trick or Treat Radio before, the 200th episode is a good launching point because, like, it's an all-star event. Like, all their cast of characters, past and present, show up and uh, and uh, chime in about, like, the significance of the show and its history and, uh, and things of that nature. And it's a really good show. I, I mean, every week it's a really good show. But that, but that episode is a particularly good jumping-off point. And uh, I also want to give a kudos to us. This is the last episode of the television crossover universe in the first six months. <laughs> this is this wraps up the first six months of our doing the show. Um, this is episode twenty-six uh, weekly show, so we've been doing this for six months now, um, and it seems like we just started it. Um, so kudos to us for that. And this is also our first two-parter, uh, part one. Um, tonight we're going to be um, giving lots of spoilers. So I want to announce right now at this point, if you haven't seen Batman v Superman or Civil War and you hate spoilers, stop the recording right now and go watch them and then come back and listen. <laughs> You've been warned. We're going to spoil the shit out of this. All right. So... Uh, is that the first actual cuss we've had on air? Um, no, no, I, I think, think we Yeah, Jesse Cook gave us several cusses uh, when he was a guest, remember? Yeah. No, I don't, because I wasn't here, but noted. Oops. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, so, so you know, the biggest controversy of, 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 
of our of our century has been Batman v Superman versus Civil War, and we're going to cover it because we're topical. <laughs> so, uh, have you guys seen both films? I have. James? I have too. Okay, I have not seen Civil War, but I've seen all the spoilers for it, so I'm okay. <laughs> nice and spoiled. Yeah, so I, I I came in this knowing knowing what I had to do. <laughs> so, um, you know, for those who have been under a rock, um, Captain America: Civil War is the, the latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is several series, and yet it's one series um, of films because it's all interconnected. Um, uh, particularly um, Tony Stark's family, like, ties into everything. The Super Soldier formula ties into everything. Uh, the Infinity Stones tie into everything. Um, so there are, there are certain elements that link everything together, as well as, of course, characters. But, you know, started off with, with Iron Man and then Thor and Hulk and, and Captain America, and then they joined together as the Avengers and, in the premise of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's been about eight years since superheroes became a thing, and there's been lots of superhero battles, and basically um, the events of the Avengers was kind of like the 9-11 for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was a huge traumatic event um, le leading to people being scared. Um, meanwhile, Batman v Superman um, heroes have been around for only about two years since the begin since Superman first appeared in Man of Steel, um, and the events of Man of Steel was kind of the 9/11 for the DC extended universe, um, and Superman's appearance has led to a lot of fear of outside of aliens and anybody who is different and blah, 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 basically the exact same plot. <laughs> so now that we're all caught up, um, let's, let's tear them apart. <laughs> awesome. Chris, you want to start us off or Rob, do you want to start us off? Well, I, I just don't talking. So let's like Chris start off. I'll be glad to step in the big mouth that I am. Um, I must say that, of course, this time I'm not afraid to side with conventional wisdom and say Civil War <clears throat> far surpassed Dawn of Justice. I mean, as, ev as everybody's been saying online, it came with that plan. We had several build-up films, and it was um, cinematic crossover done right. We saw one politically-oriented event which correlates with real-life political events, I should say, lead up to the Sokovia Accords in Civil War. <clears throat> and in case um, you don't live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you don't know what Sokovia is, because if you check the map in our world, you won't see it, it was um, a, a European nation that was blown to hell due to the events in Avengers Age of Ultron. So due to, due to that, and due to an incident in Civil War, 
where a group of Wakandan diplomats, including King T'Chaka, were killed uh, because Scarlet Witch attempted to stop Crossbones from detonating a bomb and killing several civilians. She spared several people on the street, but not those Wakandan ambassadors. So, of course, this whole thing was all the machinations of a certain man named Zemo, but I won't go into that. I will simply say that due to the destruction that these superheroes are wreaking, it is obviously suggested they should be accountable to to United Nations um, task force, probably connected to whatever S.H.I.E.L.D. became. I believe S.H.I.E.L.D. is still a, a little bit of a secretive organization, so... But... Once again, in short, Captain America did not agree. He felt that superheroes should have a a degree of autonomy. They should not be conducted by a government body. Tony Stark didn't. He was receiving um, a big crisis in conscience, not only from his complicity with the Ultron incident, which was all him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not Henry Pym, And, in short, there was a conflict, which basically uncovered a bigger conflict due to the fact that Howard Stark, it turns out, was one of the victims, huge spoiler here, people, of the Winter Soldier. And, which means things will probably never be right between Mr. Stark and Captain Rogers again. So, huge, awesomely filmed... And, and choreographed battles ensued, including that airport battle, and it was just awesome. James, would you like to take over before I, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, um, overtax my microphone and the ears of our listeners? James? I think okay. uh, Are you awake, that, James? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question, Chris. Um, um, there was there were there were a lot of characters in Civil War. I mean, a, as with any of the Avengers movies, but it seems like even more so uh, for Civil War. Um, did you did you find they they balanced all the characters um, pretty well, or did they feel crammed in there? I feel that it put paid to the to the constant complaint that if you put too many characters in there, you're destined to have the cram that you described. I think it was very well balanced by the Russo brothers. Nice. James, are you back? We might have trouble nope. waking him up oh. <laughs> after my tirade. Well, I, I guess we're just gonna press on, and he can chime in if he if he so chooses. Um, so um, I, I, now, on on the other hand, Batman v Superman. Um, so I'm one of the defenders of Batman v Superman, um, but I I also recognize its flaws. Um, but you know, um, this was also a fight between two big-name heroes 
through the the manipulation of a villain in this case uh luther uh, the problem with Batman v Superman was they were trying to catch up <laughs> to the Avengers and Civil Wars um, period, like in one film. After, it, you know, this was the only the second film in the DC Extended Universe, and they were trying to make it a Civil War, um, which had eight years to build up to. Um, and I felt it, it just didn't work in that way. I, I, I will say I did like, I did find Luther was appropriate. A lot of people complain that's not Luther, but you know, just as, just as John Byrne revamped Luther in the eighties by making him the businessman instead of the mad scientist. And, you know, and he went from being, being the mad, you know, he was a war profiteer when he first appeared in the, 40s, you know, Luther is constantly updated for the time period um, while maintaining true to his nature. He's a genius, he's evil, uh, he's a megalomaniac. All that still was in play. Um, you know, if anybody could, um, like, figure out who Batman and Superman were and, and manipulate them, pit them against each other, it'd be Luther. The other complaint I've heard, and Ivan is one of the people who have complained this, was that this isn't, Batman was really dumb. <laughs> he was really dumb to be manipulated so easily by Luther into trying to kill Superman. Um, but I, I argue, argue that, yeah, Batman is supposed to be a detective, but this is Batman after, this is old Batman. So we got a young Superman and an old Batman. This is Dark Knight Frank Miller's Dark Knight Batman, who's been doing this for like 20 years. He's a drunk. He's pissed off. He's he's how many times has he like put the Joker away, only for him to come out and kill more people? And he's he's just pissed off <laughs> and uh, and uh, and angry and just tired and and which is why he was so I would argue why he was so easily manipulated. Um, I feel when Justice League comes about, we're going to see the Batman we're more familiar with because um, the wake-up call he got at the end of the film from this is a this is a spoiler episode. So from Superman's death, um, you know, you know, took him back to to himself, and, and I thought cinematically it was beautiful. Um, I, I appreciated how they introduced the other Justice League members. I, I felt that it would have been better if they had timed it out and given them all individual films and then and then timed them together the way the Avengers did. But I understand that they're trying to rush it <laughs> to uh, to get to compete with Avengers, um, jumping late on the bandwagon. But the way they did introduce it was cool, and they had the crisis moment. They had a little nod to injustice, you know. They um, maybe there's a little force to try to tie in the death of Superman storyline and and the Dark Knight storyline and smush it all together. Um, I, I I can see even having not seen Civil War, I still feel Civil War is better though because um, it was better. It was 
they, they really had a plan. There's a great YouTube video that's a long YouTube video that shows clips of all the different Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows and films that shows, like, like all these different little events that, like, lead up to Civil War. Um, and it really shows how it makes sense. That's my that's my two cents on on that one. Well, did do you? Um, I guess a question I could pose to you, Rob, is that um, did you ever get the impression from that movie that maybe another thing that swayed Bruce Wayne's mind was what he directly witnessed with the destruction of Metropolis when in the fight between Superman and General Zod? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like this was the the nine eleven. For, for the DC universe, um, you know, Metropolis is um, the battle, and and to, to get a little pet- political, there was a little bit of a metaphor there that um, the this rich guy is 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 trying to say that because because some aliens are bad, all aliens are bad, and we should fear all aliens. Um, you know, that, that's a little little topical and relevant to our current world. As with Civil Wars, um, you know, subject matter. So, um, oh, and, and just FYI, J- James was dropped and, and uh, Johnny's trying to get him back. Um, but, um, yeah, I, um, being there was definitely traumatic for him. And the thing is, because Luther knew from the very beginning who Superman and Batman was, I mean, he knew, and he already knows who all the other Justice League members are before the Justice League even started. You know, they showed that in that file clip thing. Um, he was able to play play on that, um, you know, and and you know, he intercepted all those checks, you know, that Bruce Wayne was sending to the to the guy who lost his legs, and then had him march back like, "Screw you," you know. Um, a guy never got him, you know. Luther did that and made Bruce Wayne feel even shittier. And then he was responsible for the bomb that blew up the guy that that Bruce Wayne was feeling bad about, you know. Um, so he, he he was just, he knew Bruce Wayne was in a state of mind already where he was tired and weak and, 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 and done. And he just, and he just manipulated the shit out of that. <laughs> you know, because that's what he—that's what Luther does best. He, you know, well, in the modern age, he's the puppet master. You know, and uh, you know, he—he—he he, he played on his fear and his anger, and and his frustration. He, he basically just played on his emotions completely, and uh, I thought it was brilliant. Um. The, the most unbrilliant part of the movie was uh, was Martha. Why did you say Martha? Wait, your mom is Martha. My mom is Martha. Okay, I won't kill you. <laughs> that, that that was really really dumb. <laughs> they needed some emotional moment, and they I guess that was the easy emotional moment. <laughs> I guess. My, my 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 son makes the joke that that's how civil war should have ended. Like, your best friend is James. My best friend is James. <laughs> Let's be friends. 
<laughs> Why are we fighting? We both have a best friend named James. <laughs> That's a good point, and I even if things went well, yeah, um, it's okay that you killed my dad. You know, and your friend James killed my dad. Uh, he's got the same name. This is an emotional moment. But yeah, yeah. but then look what so, happened, Rody. Oh, go on. So what I liked about like the overall plot of of, of Batman v Superman um, had a lot of flaws, but but the movie was filled with such beautiful moments that I I, I guess I'm willing to overlook the flaws. Uh, I guess I felt that way with Man of Steel, too, but we'll talk more on that, like, in, in our next episode. Um, but for for Batman v Superman, I mean, Batman's ninja-style, like, like stealth mode stuff was probably the best I've seen out of any depiction. Batman's usually um, not shown to be so ninja-y in, in, in the other films, but here you could just disappear into the shadows and, and I, I really appreciated that and um, yeah, uh, I, I really I, I loved Wonder Woman's part in, in it um, I loved I loved seeing the Flash appearing to Batman from the future which comes from Crisis on Infinite Earth number two um, yeah, it was, it was just a lot and I even like Doomsday, even though they changed Doomsday's origin. I still like Doomsday in it. Um, so, and, and and I thought Jesse Eisenberg was a great Luther. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's not Luther, but I thought he was exactly what Luther's supposed to be. He was just a little more histrionic rather than the calm, cool and collected suave, uh, did I pronounce that word right, or that suave, Luthor that we're used to? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say, I, I would say, yeah, you, he, but, you know, it was for this time period. You know, he was basically, in a way, re reprising his previous role as Mark Zuckerberg, founder and CEO of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> but um, but you know he 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 was he was, but but just that one of that's one of the things though. Like his while he was all like like acting like a spoiled brat, like he he was really like he, you could see the way his plan worked out and how he manipulated the government and everything. That while he may act like so extroverted on the outside, inside in his brain, he's constantly calculating. Like he's constantly got plans and love, you know, and levels. Like he's calm on the inside, even when he's pissed off. And 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 even in the comics and and in other films, it shows that Lex Luthor is calm until he's losing. <laughs> when his plans don't go right, he flips out. <laughs> so, so his history you know. exterior could have just been, could have just been that—a shell hiding his cool, calculated interior or his core. 
Right. Exactly. Anyways, uh, so so I appreciate it. I just wish it hadn't been so rushed. I get why DC's rushing it. Um, you know, we're we're a civil war. You know, they even they, you know, civil war was even able to introduce new characters. Um, for the first, you know, into the storyline, and 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 not like make it seem unnatural, you know. They they weren't they weren't just like throwing them in there just for, you know, they had they had story sense to them. I will say, Tom Holland Spider Man got a very good introduction. I mean, a lot of people may think Marissa Tomei is a bit too hot for to play Aunt May, but other than that, he got. I thought he Tom Holland did very well. That introduction was good, and we got a lot of introduction for the Black Panther. I must say, he came across quite excellent on screen. Nobody got the short shrift. Yeah, you know, on the Aunt May thing, you know, yeah, in the comics, she was always portrayed as this elderly old woman. But the fact of the matter is, she actually is age-appropriate for having a teenager, you know. Uh, I mean, and I know she's not his mother, but, you know, she would be about the same age, I'd assume, as Peter's parents were, you know, generally speaking. So, so she is age-appropriate <laughs> for for the role. Uh, yeah, she doesn't have to be in her 90s, you know, she can be in her, what... 50s and everything, I mean, or late 40s right. or something. It may have been strange for us to see, you know, um, Tony Stark drooling over her, you know, from based on the comics, but still, yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they've been in a movie together before where they were romantic um, interests. So we got spillover. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I think that that, that helps. And, and it made sense that Spider-Man would be on, on um, Tony's side because um, it's been well been demonstrated that it, as a science geek, he admires Stark. You know, so Stark would have that influence on him. I think that worked quite well, which is why uh, Robert Downey Jr. will be reprising his role as Tony Stark in the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. And I'm actually looking forward to that. Um, and it, it, it seems like it won't be an origin story, which is good. <laughs> no, but Peter's back in high school. I have returned. Yay! Right. I put you to sleep there, James, with my tirade. Well, we're it's just about out of time. <laughs> just kidding. Hang on one second. Uh, yeah. So, so yes, what topic are we on now? Civil um, versus Aunt 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 oh, sorry. Go on, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anne May's hotness. <laughs> That's what we're on right now. Okay, gotcha. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Played by Marissa Tomei. Yes, don't think of the version Stan Lee first brought us in the 60s. Well, we know what you like, Chris. It's okay. You just like that plastic-covered furniture. Mm. Never, let that go. <laughs> Never let that go. 
<laughs> no, that's I, I follow you. That's going to be on your. You're going to have a plastic covered tombstone. I don't you, think you, you missed. Know. You missed my defense of Batman v Superman. Well, darn. Would you like to hear my utter decimation of Batman v Superman? Most definitely. I, I think. I think it would be appropriate. Yeah. Okay. So, in fact, I previously wrote this and then added more to this. So, the next time someone asks me what a perfect 10 in filmmaking is, I'll tell them the Twilight Zone episodes, A Stop at Willoughby, or The Obsolete Man. Both are masterpieces of editing, cinematography, lighting, and visual pacing. Mute the episodes, and you'll clearly understand both. If you ask me what a perfect zero is to understand my baseline, and out of only professionally released, studio-made movies, I only have one answer. Batman v Superman. This isn't about wow. the characters, and this isn't about Snyder's morals or him trying to shove Ayn Rand into Superman and Batman. Instead, this is about the film itself, the movie as a movie. And as a movie, I mean, people make a lot of Batman vs. Superman having a lower Rotten Tomatoes score than The Room. This is deserved. The Room may be infamously bad, but it is edited in a marginally competent way with marginally competent cinematography, lighting, and visual pacing. It's a horrible movie, but it's functional. Batman v Superman isn't. The editing is... broken. Before I say the rest of what I say about the editing, keep this in mind. All of this is sourced from a Pro Video Coalition interview with David Brenner, Batman vs. Superman's editor. So this isn't just crazy old me with no film degree going on about the movie. These are things he actually said. There are two golden rules in film editing. He references these, plus these are very well known. One, cut to something, not away from something, just because you're done with the scene. Two, edit your scenes along with motion, any character motion, any object motion, or edit along the eyesight line of a character. This is really invisible, but almost any good movie is going to do these things. Zack Snyder purposely chose to ignore these rules in Batman v Superman. It's why everyone's always complaining about how weird and broken the editing is. Because every cut in the movie is a contextless jump cut. It's not cutting to anything. It's just cutting away because the scene's over. And also... Everything's very still and very visually dull because there is no motion in the camera. It's not following their actions except in a few of the action sequences later on. It's not following any of the motion or eyesight lines of the scene. Jump cut after jump cut after jump cut after jump cut. The pacing is bizarre. Now, admittedly, this could be from the fact that this is cobbled together from a much longer movie. The original cut was four hours. They're not even releasing that. But we're left with really weird pacing things. Like when Bruce Wayne gets the invitation to Lex Luthor's party, he walks around, walks down to the Batcave, looks around at his stuff, then walks back upstairs to get to his car and drive to Luthor's house. There's no visual pacing. It just does random things. Now, admittedly, that could not be a flaw in the original cut. That one I'll give them. The cinematography, though, is inexplicable. Watch the party at Lex Luthor's house from the moment Bruce Wayne unwraps his car to the end of the party. Then try and tell me why any particular shot was chosen. There's no craft reason why any of these shots were captured. 
it's all unclear. Like, Michael Bay is not a good filmmaker, but his movie's visuals have a basic comprehensibility. You look at it, and you understand. You can mute it and follow his movies. But Luther's party is pretty inexplicable. Now, the party scene is a mild example compared to the action scenes, but someone could argue the action scenes are supposed to be that way. They're wild and chaotic, and you don't know where to look or what's going on. And that's defensible. But Luther's party isn't wild, and it isn't chaotic, and should have been a, and you should have a very clear idea where to look. In particular in this scene, look at Luther's speech. The cinematography has one clear goal. Direct the audience to pay attention to Luther and listen to what he's saying. Instead, the cinematography stuffs the scene with people around Luther that are just above his knees, and you only see their heads. Uh, where was I? Pointless dressing behind Luther, plants, strange windows, columns, and some baffling lighting, which lights him from below, which we'll get to in a second. Then the speech starts as a distant shot around Eisenberg's calf, which emphasizes the set, but de-emphasizes Eisenberg and his speech. He has to constantly fight for all of the audience's attention in the middle of all of this pointless dressing that doesn't tell you anything. Now, there are times this can work. It works very well in George C. Scott's Patton, which uses a very similar from-the-calf-up view. The thing is, Patton is front of the American flag, so it is still directing you into his speech. But now the lighting. The lighting's as dramatic as a teenager's mascara. Everyone and everything is either lit from below, like children playing spooky faces with a flashlight, or shot with ambient lighting that washes everything out into just vague, washed-out, empty space. This is, the only, this is one of the decisions I think they consciously made. Big scenes are underlit. Mundane scenes are ambient. There's a couple exceptions here and there, which more or less is tone rather than content. But it doesn't work. It makes the visuals tiring. There's no variation. And if you try to think about it narratively, why would Luther have such terrible underlit lighting in his home? Now, this is where you can definitely argue impressionist German cinema. They're doing Cabinet with Dr. Caligari, and yeah, that's what they're going for. But they went for it in the wrong way, because this is a hyper-realistic movie. So that's like wandering around your neighborhood dressed like Darth Vader. Yes, it's dramatic, but it's also stupid if you're not in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You need to bounce that. So, in the end, this is the worst studio-released, big-budget movie I have ever watched. Or any studio-released movie. Now, as for the characters... I don't hate so much what they were going for as what they tried to do. Let me rephrase that. I don't hate what they were going for so much as how it came out. Having a Batman who wants to kill Superman can work perfectly fine. It's not what I want to see, but it could work perfectly fine if you actually build his character arc around this. For instance, let's say you start with normal Batman, who is very against Mm -hmm. killing. But then, as he's dealing with this Superman, and as he thinks Superman's a villain, he realizes this is the one case where he has to abandon everything he is to stop the threat permanently. He has to give up everything that makes Batman Batman to save the universe. Building his arc around that, you now have a lot more dynamic character conflict than you have in Batman vs. Superman. 
you start with a Batman that's recognizable, and then he progressively grows darker as he throws away everything that makes him himself. And then his redemption at the end actually has heavy narrative weight instead of just being, oh, he didn't brand Luther for some reason. And Superman, it's fine. It's okay for the most part. I just don't understand a lot of their smaller choices with him. Like having him just stand stunned as a bomb goes off in Congress or Ma Kent's speech. I don't hate it. It's just very strange and doesn't fit the tone they're trying to go for, which further hurts the movie. So those are my thoughts. We got a whole audio book for a cinematic deconstruction of Superman or Batman v Superman. Yay! Yay me! So, so uh, before we before we uh, wrap up, um, do you have any thoughts on Civil War? Because we we covered that too. <laughs> you need another audio book, James. Give us one. I only have a few brief things. I really like the movie. I just think what really hurts the movie. For me, since I'm just going to cover the negatives really quickly. What really hurts the movie for me is, one, you can tell it was heavily rescripted once they realized that they were going to have more Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. So he's not as much a villain now, which makes all of Captain America's responses to him seem really out of place. Like he's responding to something that never happened. Two, Zemo's motivation changes a lot. Is he a Nazi? Does he want to take over the world? Is he just sad about his family? And it really just ends up hurting the movie because he doesn't have anything consistent. It just goes back and forth, back and forth. Um, I really love Spider-Man, and I thought it was really fascinating when they did the pen sequence with the pens from World War II, and they make very clear that the MCU Steve Rogers hates FDR. Oh, really? Yes. Did not get that spoiled. That's interesting. It's very subtle, but from the way he reacts and then talks about what FDR did in the war, it's really interesting, and it's perfectly in character for the MCU Steve Rogers. Yeah. Who is a bit less 1940s left of center than the 660s Steve Rogers. While MCU Steve Rogers is much more directly 1940s center. Right. If he was making reference to what happened to the Nizé, you know, under FDR's uh, edict being put in those detention centers, you know, concentration camps, if that's what he was referring to. I, I always honestly liked um, the Rob Liefeld. Yes, you heard it here. I liked the Rob Liefeld um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> depiction of <laughs> that that he turned on the Truman administration due to um, Truman deciding to drop the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and was put on ice as a result. I like that. That's you know, interesting. I have yeah. a hard time seeing him do that, but that's interesting. I do see him turning as soon as he sees them imprisoning the Japanese, however. I, I could see him turning at either point. I, I, I could see, including, I mean, completely rebelling against, uh, you know, the Truman administration. I could see both of those, one acting as the catalyst for the other, or supplementing the other, and it's too bad 
you know, that Marvel decided to completely destroy what Lightfield was doing once they replaced him on the Heroes Reborn run of Captain America. I think you're the first person to say that. Hey, I've never been one to shy away from controversial um, opinions if I actually believe in them, and in this case, yes. I don't hate Heroes Reborn as much as others, but okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I didn't like Heroes Reborn in general, but I like that aspect of Captain America. Okay, now I follow. Okay, so... Oh, go ahead. I don't think anyone was going ahead. How much time do we have? Oh, um, like negative five minutes. <laughs> okay, then I'm done. So, um, well, that's all right, because... Um, uh, Though, though, though we've run out of time, uh, next week we're actually going to be continuing this discussion, uh, diving into the larger discussion of DC and Marvel movies and TV shows. Um, so before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, LexCorp, as well as our mysterious benefactor who has sponsored all of our May shows, Hail Hydra. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music, Leap on a Stream. Thanks to all who listened and remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night.